Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, we're in week six of Revolution, and we have officially rounded third. We are coming into home. We have one more week after this one, and this is uh, step four in our quest for personal revival. And kind of a little catchphrase that I've used for all of these weeks, it seems like I've been in this series for uh, a long time now, but um, is that our desire, my desire, the reason why we're doing it is because I believe that if, if you have or this revolution within your soul, that it will bring healing to the whole. That's my hope. That's my desire. And I believe, and by the power of God's word, I believe that if you were to uh, do what this series has kind of introduced in this idea of personal revival. I believe that if you would to take these truths and that you would incorporate them into your life, that you'll be changed and that it will bring healing to those that are around you. I believe it with all of me. Well, before I get into step four, I just want to kind of open up with this, uh, just a couple questions and a story, if that's cool with you. If that's cool with you, say, it's cool. Awesome. You, some of you have never said that before. Welcome. Um, well, has anyone in here been on a cruise? Like, okay, no, I was in the Navy. I'm not talking about that kind of cruise. I'm talking about like the fun cruise. You know, you go raise your hand up high. That's fine. Raise your hand because everybody who hasn't been is envious of you right now. Um, about three years ago, we went on our first and only fun cruise and it was an amazing, amazing experience. If you've been on a cruise, um, did, did you gain weight on the cruise from how much food that you ate? If you did, raise your hand. Yes. Yes. Did you feel miserable afterward, but yet you enjoyed every single meal while you were there? Yes. Me too. Well, we, we went on this cruise, and it was just an amazing experience. And I remember going through, we were with some friends, and it was, it was with the church that actually we had come from before we came here, and we were with friends and people we had served. We had been in the trenches of ministry with. Just an amazing experience. Ate way too much food. It was the, it was the pleasure cruise to the max. I took some salsa lessons. Um, you didn't need that, did you? Um, yeah, it was, I, I was just as bad as you think I was um, at salsa. But it was an amazing time, and it was a great experience. It really was. Every, like... Every year since then, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I drug my feet going on the cruise, but every year since then, I'm thinking, man, we need to go on a cruise again. It's just amazing. You eat like kings and queens and all of these things. It was an amazing cruise experience. Well, I heard recently of, of a not-so-amazing cruise experience. Now, that's not really something you ever want to be able to tell the story of yourself, right? A not-so-amazing cruise experience. But I, I was told that there was this cruise line that left out of Vancouver, Canada, and was going to Seward, uh, Alaska, and of course it's cold country up there, um, up in the northwest, and they were kind of just, they had left port, and everything was fine, and everything was going well, and everybody, you know, just kind of cheery and laughing and doing all the cruise things, enjoying everything, and then as, after they got out of port, and they're tracking on, everything's fine, all of a sudden, the rudder on the ship mishaps, and it just goes rogue goes crazy and all of a sudden the rudder just snaps and takes the boat which would normally be like this right y'all track with this assuming the water's flat and then took the boat and tipped it like this now it didn't capsize it's no one no one died the story's not altogether bad but yet this not so great cruise experience was affected by the rudder on the ship everything was going fine and as a matter of fact it was so devastating even the pools on top of this ship it drained a quarter of the water of the of the water in the pools, so it was that sharp of a turn. No one would go on that pleasure cruise, right? If I were to say, "Hey, we're about to have this experience together," and yet we see there's such there's such damage and devastation that could happen even by the power of a small rudder. Now the ship itself was 780 feet long, so it's it's a big it's a big ship. It's small if you're in the Navy like me, but it's a big ship for, you know, compared to um, what most people are used to. 
And yet, as this, this ship was going and it was tracking on, everything was fine and people are on board, they're just along for the ride and all of a sudden the rudder snaps hard and everybody shook, everybody was fearful, some people did get hurt and no one died. And yet, the same kind of thing, if we're honest, the same thing is happening in our country today. Is that all of a sudden we're just kind of doing our thing, we're working, we're raising kids, you know, we're stay-at-home moms, we're, you know... Soccer moms, we're going to soccer practice, softball practice, baseball practice, basketball practice, whatever else that you find yourself going to Walmart of all places. You know, we do all these things. And yet, we're just like living our life. And yet, and if, if we're honest, and I've had many conversations with people, they almost seem like, you know, we were going this way as a country and as, as a group of people in our nation. And then all of a sudden, we've had this snap turn. And now all of a sudden, everybody's kind of shaken up and everybody's wondering what is going on. Anybody else feel that way? And yet there's this thing that's supposed to be, that, that really was part of the foundation of our country, the rudder, if you will. It's just this level of morality in our country that was just kind of a baseline. And to be honest with you, for, for a couple hundred years, it was just kind of normal. And, and, and if we're really honest, I think a lot of people just kind of took it for granted. And yet there, there came a, a day and there came a time, and it's been, it's been for a couple decades, and it's really kind of coming very, very uh, obvious right now, but yet the country is kind of like this, this jerk movement, the rudder of its morality is changing, and yet everybody, on the, everybody in the country is sitting back and wondering, what is going on? And yet, I'm dissatisfied with where we are. Um, where we are as a country, I think we can always do better, but I'm dissatisfied with where I am because I think that that the Lord has more work to do in me. I don't have it all figured out. Anybody else in that boat say amen. I don't have it all figured out. And yet I know the God who does. And I know the God who equips. And I know the God who redeems. And, and the God who has bought me back from my sin and rebellion. And I, I am very thankful that, that our Lord allows U-turns. He allows U-turns. No matter what direction you're going, however you come into this place, that you're kind of doing your own thing, and maybe you're just, you know, you're blind to the world around you. You know what? The Lord allows U-turns. And maybe you're just kind of tracking on away from Him, and you're just saying, maybe you've got to a place where you're just kind of sick of church, you're kind of sick of the whole thing, and maybe you really like Jesus, and you're dissatisfied with the church, and you have all these questions, and all these these presumptions about things and yet you just say you know what i'm just ready to just go and do my own thing i would just say slow down just a little bit slow down just a little bit and maybe listen to this message maybe just listen to this message and first and foremost i want you to know that god allows u-turns you can't be far enough away from god that he just says you're on your own you can't be far from God away, or far away from God enough. And yet, as you open your Bibles to Hosea 14, I've kind of mapped out this, the process for us. Maybe this, all of these things, and this is the fourth step to personal revival. The first step was that we have to be what? We have to be thoroughly dissatisfied with, with ourselves and with our situation. But we have to be able to sit back and be people of vision to sit back and look at our life and say, you know what, I'm dissatisfied with this area or that area and something needs to change. But then the second element is this, that we need to set our face toward a sweeping transformation in our life. We have to set our face, like flint is the word that I used as our second step of personal revival, that we have to be so set in saying, you know what, I'm going to change, but I'm going to set my face. I'm going to be so bold and stern to see the things in my life that need to be changed, and I'm going to see them to fulfillment. Amen to that. And last week, we had talked about how we do those things, the first two, and then the third step was we need to put ourselves in the way of God's blessing. We need to put ourselves in the way of God's blessing, and it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. We talked about that last week, and then we come to our fourth step. We have one more after this, but our fourth step is we need to do a thorough job of repenting. We need to be very thorough in our repentance. And I would just warn you that hasty repentance leads to shallow revival. Hasty repentance leads to shallow revival. 
You, you could just sit back and say, you know what, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm, just, I'm done with that, but yet you don't mean it with all of you. You're just giving lip service to the things that really need to change in your life. And that's hasty. That's just, that's a flippant decision, and it leads to shallow revival, to where you're really not changed from the inside out, because this, this whole series is about change from the inside out. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants to do. He wants to change us from the inside out to make you new, to make you whole, to redeem every part of you, every part of your relationships, the way you spend your money, the way you love your husband and wife, the way you raise your kids. He wants to redeem all of that. And he wants to get the glory for it, but he wants you to have a fulfilled life through it. That's what he wants. And that's his offer for you. We have to do a thorough job of repenting. We have to be very, very thorough. This, this scripture, give you a little bit of the context. This is something you, if you're having a hard time finding it, what you would do for a little help with this is you would just kind of open your Bible up to the middle. You're going to be right around Psalms or Proverbs. And you're going to go to the right. You're going to go through Isaiah. You're going to go through Ezekiel. And right after Daniel is the book of Hosea. Probably have to dust the uh, or take the, the dust off those pages of your Bible. You probably haven't gone through those in a while. But Hosea's situation, he's a prophet, and he's specifically a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, at this time, the kingdom of Israel is divided north and south. This is kind of important because the reason why it's divided north and south is because they both were kind of the northern tribes. There's ten of them total. They had been the first group where they just kind of walked away from God. And in the history books of the Bible, they say that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. That's kind of the, the phrase. They were just kind of going rogue. They were just doing whatever they want to do. God's over here. And they said, yeah, that looks, no, I'm going over there. And they would just take off. Well, all of a sudden, the northern tribes are so far away from God and the southern tribes are soon following after. And there are only two southern tribes, 10 in the north, Two in the south. If you're a Bible reader, that's probably familiar to you. And yet, the reason why there's so much division and the reason why there's so much strife is because they had walked so far away from Almighty God. They just walked away and they just continued to walk and walk and walk. Well, in situations like that, God didn't give up on them just like He didn't give up on me, just like He won't give up on you. And He brings a guy by the name of uh, Hosea. Hosea is a really interesting guy. He is a prophet. Um, That means he was usually the bearer of bad news to most people in his context, where he would go through and he would look at the people and he would say, hey, you're sinning, get right. Well, as you can imagine, he probably didn't have a whole lot of fans. You know, probably not a whole lot of people followed after him because, you know, when they were throwing rocks at him, they may not hit him, but if you're walking with him, they might hit you, right? So he didn't have a whole lot of fans in the prophets in the Old Testament didn't either and yet the difficulty is that Hosea he's he's not only just a a prophet he's also supposed to be in in part of his life he is literally living out what he believes this is what I mean he was told by God to marry a woman by the name of Gomer okay that's a curse in and of itself can you imagine that hey I'd like for you to meet my wife uh Gomer you know, let me think about that. So he's told to, to marry this, this woman by the name of Gomer, of all awkwardness and weird names. And yet, he was told ahead of time that she would not be faithful to him. God told him ahead of time, hey, I've picked this woman out for you, and she's not going to be faithful. And that God would tell him, and and somehow out of, I don't understand how God works, but I've seen him work. And I believe that his word is true. And yet, and, and he is told to marry this woman, but his very life was supposed to be a symbol of the way of how God's people, even Christians today, go so far away from God, and yet God remains faithful. Because he was told, Hosea was told that your wife will be unfaithful, but you must remain faithful. That your wife will go out and she will, she will have a scan, she will bring just scandalous relationships 
into your marital relationships, but you've got to stay with her and you've got to love her. And you have to be a picture of God's people, of how I am, how God is with his people, that God doesn't let go. That's heavy. And yet it's in his word. Well, kind of at the end of Hosea's ministry is where we're going to pick up in Hosea 14. But it's, under, it's, it's important to know that, that the work of a prophet is not a friendly work. It's not, like, you know, it's not like he's getting a lot of money. It's not like he's a TV preacher, you know, and he combs his hair a certain direction and people just start, you know, sending in $100 bills. Um, if it worked, man, I would totally part this thing up. But um, I really would. I'm looking for some product if anybody has any. Um, but it's not a, a friendly job. And yet his very life was, was difficult. But it was a picture of God's grace. It was such a picture of God's grace. So Hosea is living something that he believes. And he's, he's living something that he tells us to do in this text. Look what it says in verse 1, chapter 14. He says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. I think a better translation of that is in the New Living Translation. And it says, bring your confessions. It says, bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to Him, that would be the Lord, Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. And the NLT also, I think it just paints us very, very clearly. And it says, and it says our praises so that we may offer our praises. And it continues, Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods, small g. There's only one God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the Trinitarian God that we worship. Amen, church? And it says, To what our own hands have made. They were worshiping, and I've explained this over the last couple of weeks. They would, they would put these little things, and they would worship them, and they'd put them in their house. They'd put these Asherah poles around, and these little carvings of Baal, and they'd have them all in their house. He says, we will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Which is an echo of Psalm 65, 5 and 6. Where it says that our Lord is a father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. And the lonely find family. That's our Lord. But his message start, it, it concludes right here with, with this people. And he's saying, return O Israel. And then he, he kind of repeats the same thing just a little bit later and, and when he says in verse 2 to return to the Lord. And he's saying, repent. You're going the wrong direction. And that's what repentance means. It means to turn it around. You're going in the wrong direction. So he stands up as God's appointed man in front of an audience that didn't like him and they didn't like his message but they knew that he was living what he believed. And that says a lot. And he's saying, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. You're doing it your own way, and you know that it's not working. He talks about Assyria. And the reason why he... He's having them literally, and he says, bring words with you, bring confessions. And he's saying, say these things. Because we as a nation, with the nation of Israel at that time, he says, we're trusting in other nations. We're walking away from God. We're trusting in, in other nations. We're trusting in Assyria when we need to just put our, our trust in our Lord. But don't we do the same thing? I mean, in our, we, we sit back and we say, we live in the U.S. of A., don't we? And we, we put all of that and we put our, our country on a pedestal. And, and there's a lot of people who put our country on this pedestal, but yet they put our Lord uncomfortably underneath that pedestal. I think we do the same thing. And then it talks about war horses. That's talking about military power. Saying, hey, 
We can't trust in our, our, our military power anymore. We can't trust in our airplanes anymore. We can't trust in our big guns anymore. We can't trust in our ships anymore. We, we're, we're sick of that. We don't need to do that. We need to repent of all those things that brought us, that, that, that we thought were bringing us comfort. And Hosea tells, tells them and he tells us, we need to repent of those things. We can't put trust in, in other people when we need to trust in the Lord Jesus. We can't put trust in, in the pow- our power to change things when it's only the Lord's power that's worked through us. He gets the credit. He gives the increase, so He gets the credit. Amen? And yet so many times in our life, we sit back and we get comfortable. And we just sit back in our lazy, lazy boys. And we just are lay on our couch and we just drive around and we just kind of pretend everything's cool. We live in the most safe country in the world, in the history of the world. And yet, without the Lord's blessing, that could change in the blink of an eye. Don't think that it can't. What is it that you need to repent of? What is it that, that you know that needs to change? If you're not a Christian... This is going to be like, you know, you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're sitting back thinking, uh, this is kind of weird. I don't understand all this. And I, I totally understand. And I welcome you. If, you. if you're seeking the faith, I welcome you. But I just want you to know that there comes a time in everyone's life, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, where you know that the path that you're, that you're tracking on is not right. And that you know that even a non-Christian, if you're not walking with Jesus, you know that you're walking a path. And, and, and if you're really honest, and if maybe not in this setting, but if we're just ha- having coffee over at Blackbird, and just you and I were sitting down having a conversation, you would probably tell me that you weren't fulfilled in the direction of your life. Because the Lord is the true fulfillment for our lives. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. That's who he is. That's the very existence of our Lord Jesus. And yet, as Christians, we live our life, and and you know what? Repentance is, is something that we need to continually do. Repentance isn't just something that you do one time and you confess your sins before the Lord, you ask Him to forgive your sins, and then everything's fine. Repentance is a process and it's something we need to continually do. We need to challenge the way that we're loving those that are around us. We need to challenge the the way that we spend our money. We need to challenge our work ethic. We need to challenge all those things and say, am I really trusting God to the level that I know that I should? Or am I trusting in something else? Because anything that you put in the place of God becomes your God. Small g. Anything. Any object of worship you have other than Almighty God is a lesser object of worship. No matter what it is. Doesn't really matter what it is. If you would, hold your place in in, uh, Hosea and then we're going to go to 1 John. It's close to the end of the Bible. So if you flip back to the end of your Bible into Revelation, you go to the left a couple books and the books are really, really small actually not books, they're letters, um, you will see First John, and we will be in First John 1, 8. First John 1, 8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we just, if we go through, and, and this, is, this is a matter of somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, they've accepted Jesus Christ in a, in a personal way, accepting that He is the author of life, He is the giver of salvation. It's only through the work of the cross and through His resurrection that we can have freedom from sin in our life. Now this is, he's painting a picture here, and he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we claim that we're not sinners, then you're not a Christian. Period. The truth is not in us. So that's a little caveat at the beginning before he tracks on and he really presses into what would be a message for Christians. Verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, this is a very familiar text with you, but what's coming after this is a little bit less familiar. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, If we claim that we have not sinned, Christians, we make Him out to be a liar and His Word has no place in our lives. Salvation is not something that you're just, once you accept Christ and a forgiveness of your sins, yes, you are eternally secure in that, no doubt about it. But the, but the walk of Christ, for you to stay in fellowship with Christ, it requires you to do a thorough job of repenting on a regular basis. Because you know what? You still sin after salvation. You still do. So you need to go back and you need to do what it says in 1 John 1, nine. It says, If you confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is a, this is a continual act in your life. This isn't just a one-time thing. This is a continual act. Once you accept Jesus Christ into your life in a personal way, you are eternally secure. That means that you are going to heaven. There's, you're not going anywhere else. You're going straight to heaven. Eternal security is found in, in the work in the name of Jesus Christ and that alone. But it says, if we claim that we have not sinned, so now all of a sudden, Christians, we've got to figure it out. We don't need to repent. I've got to figure it out. I'm not so bad. Not so bad. I mean, you know, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things with the Ten Commandments, I mean, I, I haven't really murdered anyone, thought about it, but I haven't actually done it. You know, I haven't lied recently. Wait a minute. Yes, I, actually, I did recently. It was just now I lied. I lied to myself. You know, but we, we look at the Ten Commandments and, and oftentimes we sit back and lie to the Ten Commandments and say, you know what, I'm not that bad. I mean, it, I mean, compared to everybody else, I mean, you know, I'm no Ted Bundy. You know, I'm not a terrible guy. And yet, isn't it interesting how we, we as Christians, we look at drastic comparisons to try and make ourselves feel better. Don't we? You don't want to, you don't want to really, really do a thorough job of repenting if you're sitting back comparing yourself to someone else, because it's a matter of a personal repentance. And it says at the beginning of chapter two, "My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, so that you will not sin." As a Christian. You cannot love your sin like you used to. You cannot sit back as a Christian and look at your life and when you were in sin, in habitual sin, as the good old days. You can't do it. If you're doing that right now, you need to repent. You can't do it. You can't sit back and, and, and live your life and live in habitual sin and stay in fellowship with God. He won't allow it. He won't allow it. Someone who's a Christian no longer plans to sin. Someone who's a Christian no longer boasts about his sin. So when you're sitting down and, you know, and you're having this conversation and you sit back and somebody's, uh, a guy's bragging to another guy and he says, well, how far did you get with her? Well, I got to second base. Well, how far did you get? Well, I only got to first base. But I think we're going to go on a date and maybe I'll get to second base. No Christian can sit back and have that conversation. Because a Christian, that Christian is boasting about their sin. And I would tell you, if you're someone who boasts about your sin, or you look at your, your life of sin as the glory days and the good old days of your life, you need deep repentance. Because you are out of fellowship with God and you may not even know it. But look what it says at the end of verse 1. After he tells us what, what the point of that, those other verses are, he says, I tell you this so that you will not sin. But I love the, the grace in this next part. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. What's the next two words in your Bible, church? Jesus Christ. The righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. So he tells us 
That we don't just have the, the Christian bar of soap as what I've heard in the South. That this is, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if I sin, I do something wrong. I just confess and, you know, Jesus is faithful and just and He'll forgive us my sins and I'll be restored to His righteousness and everything's fine. No, no, no. Don't, don't mistake this. That isn't an excuse for sin because He tells you in the verses right after that, I tell you this explicitly so that you do not sin. But He says... And this is the grace element. This is my favorite part. But he says, if you do sin, not just willful sin, not just doing something wrong in habitual sin, but he says, if you do sin, even if you think it's a small sin, he says, if you do sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ. We have one who has shed blood for our sins. So our sins can be forgiven. So in light of that salvation and the offer of salvation, and that Jesus died on the cross, that He, was, he, was, he could have stayed in heaven and done His own thing, but yet He willingly and knowingly took flesh, came down, died a horrific death on the cross, was buried into a tomb and resurrected on the third day. Right, church? We can say amen about that. That's a big deal. That's why we're here. And yet, because of the work of Jesus, now our, our sins are atoned for. They're covered. There's such hope in that. That's the grace of God. That He doesn't just leave you in your life of sin. But yet, the Lord requires us to make a U-turn away from it. As a matter of fact, a, a guy a lot small, smarter than me um, probably taller than me, ironically enough. But uh, um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, that we in our life, Christians, we don't need to just take time away from our sin. We need to divorce our sin completely. We don't need to just take time away and, oh, now I've become a Christian and now I'm going to do the right thing and I want everybody to see who I am. I'm going to put on my nice clothes. I'm going to come into church. I'm going to raise my hands. Woo, I'm going to clap off beat, but I'm going to clap, you know. I'm going to be here and everything's fine. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's just all this aura. What, what Spurgeon is telling us, we don't need to just take time away from our sin. We need to divorce that sin away from our life completely and wholly. That's what we need to do. And I believe if, if we were to actually sit back and understand just, I mean, just, just a glimpse of the importance of the work of the cross in light of that, you will not want to sin. You will want to do a thorough job of repenting. You will want to make that U-turn in your life and not just continue to live life your way and wonder why God's not blessing it. I think you'll start asking some deep questions within your heart and that you will even challenge some of your presumptions maybe you'll even challenge your purpose for living go back to Hosea 14 very common in the prophets whether it's there's uh, parts of the Bible it's called the major prophets and the minor prophets and really the only reason um, those terms exist is, is really the, the length and breadth of the books but there's this kind of contra compare and contrast to where there's idea of repentance where the prophet goes through like Hosea did in verses 1 through 3 and he says, repent. But then there's a grace element even at the end of this text. Let's see what it says in verse 4. This is God's response. God's response to their repentance. God's response to your repentance. He says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. If we repent, He will heal our waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew of Israel. He will blossom like a lily. This is a very agricultural community. It's kind of lost in our industrialized uh, culture, but for them, everything was was in the ground or, or trees or plants. I mean, that was just the way that they maintained life. So you're going to see a lot of these elements. Then it says at, at the end of verse 5, it says, 
like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. This idea of the cedar of Lebanon is not like a cedar tree that we have here. This, this is like a revered tree has been for thousands of years in that culture. The cedar of Lebanon has been referenced over 75 times just in the Old Testament. It's an important tree for them. He says he will be like a cedar of Lebanon he, and he will send down his roots. They're known to have deep roots. And his young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like that of an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like that of the wine of Lebanon. Which apparently in that culture was known to be good wine. See, these are the blessings of somebody who, is, who walks with God and who does a thorough job of repenting. That his life will be blessed. His life will be a blessing to others. His life will be um, one that is, is constant. That there's not so many ups and downs and I don't know why this happened and, and all of these things. If somebody who does a thorough and consistent job of repenting before Almighty God, their life will not be perfect, but yet they will be, they will be, there will be a lot less peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. It says in verse 8, O Ephraim, which is another way of saying the northern kingdom, I told you that earlier, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. God says, I am like a green pine tree, which is well known for its protection from the sun and from the rain. They're not like pine trees here that are very scraggly. Um, their pine trees were very dense and very thick. And as travelers would be go along the path, and if a rainstorm were to come up or, or even got hot from the sun, they would be, it was well known in their culture that they would go up underneath pine trees, green Pine trees. And it says, Your fruitfulness comes from me. Which reminds me of John 15, 5. And this is what the Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Everybody say, much. Much fruit. And then it says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. So he says, Lord Jesus says, if you accept me in, in a personal way, and you live your life, and you, you do the, the, the work of repentance, you not only will be blessed, but you will, you will have emotional satisfaction in your life. And you'll, you will have a productive life. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That means you're not just going to limp through life. Just wondering what's going on. It says you're going to bear much fruit. Your life is going to be full of purpose and productivity. Full of hope to other people. That the love of God will stream through you. And don't miss out on the last part. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Sure, you can go out and make some money. But at the end of the day, it's nothing. You can go out and you can have a great name amongst your friends but it really amounts to nothing. Verse 9 says, transition in the text. And here it says in verse 9, Who is wise? He will realize these things. He's, he's letting us, uh, he's taking us by the hand here, and he's leading us in a certain direction. He says, Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. And this is what he's getting at. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Let me ask you this. Are you walking or stumbling right now? Do you feel like that do you, you have this walk with God and like you, you commune with God and when you pray to God, it, you, you sense in your spirit that he's actually listening? 
Or do you just feel like, you know what, I just keep making mistake after mistake after mistake. I keep stumbling over myself again and again and again. Because I believe what this verse is leading us to, that the ways of the Lord are right. They're right. And the righteous walk in them. They walk in them. They walk in the ways of the Lord. And yet, the rebellious stumble in them. The, re- the rebellious don't understand why you believe what you believe. They don't understand the hope that you have. They don't understand the peace that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't understand that. They want it, but they don't understand it. Yet there are so many times in our life where we, we just kind of put it on autopilot. We just kind of do our own thing. We just kind of track on and we just assume everything's fine and we, we punch the church clock and you know we, we go to work on Monday morning and we just can't wait to get done with work on Monday morning and we just kind of do our own thing and yet we've never really invited God into all of those things. We need to repent of that. We need to repent of that. Some of you in this room or would hear this message need to repent of a poor work ethic. Some of you do. You need to repent. You need to repent of, of all the times when you're at work and you're getting paid to be at work and you're sitting there and you're surfing the internet and you're wondering why, who's doing what and who's doing this and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Pinterest and I think I'm going to make a cake tonight and all these other things that you do. You need to repent of that because they're paying you to work. They're not paying you to surf. If by chance you make one of those cakes, the office is always open. Um, I'm just saying. But I don't want to be part of your sin, but I do like cake. But there's, there's some elements of this that you're missing. You see, we, if we just base our life off of the Ten Commandments and, and we sit back and say, well, you know what, I haven't hurt anyone recently and I don't really tell lies and, you know, and all of these things, we are deceiving ourselves. That's what it was telling us. We were deceiving ourselves. Because we're not supposed to live our life in comparison to other people. We're supposed to live our lives in comparison to the truth of the Word of God. And yet there are things that we need to repent of. Some of you, even in this room, need to repent because you've been terrible parents. That's heavy. But you've kind of done your own thing and you've, you've maybe you've loved your kids and yet you've, you've loved them but you haven't parented them. You've tried to be their best friend instead of being mom and dad. You need to repent of that. See, God gave them friends at school but He gave mom and dad at home. Or mom or dad. Or grandma and grandpa if you've been thrust into that role. See, there are several things that we need, to, we need to not just have a shallow revival, we need to and just have hasty repentance. We need deep repentance because that leads to deep revival. What is it that you need to repent of? Maybe some of you, are, you actually work too hard and you've neglected things at home and yet you've, you've tried to please your boss and you've tried to put all this money in the bank and tried to build up the 401k and you cover it with stories, well, they need me. And you go home to tell your husband or wife, yeah, they need me at work and, and they really need me. And yet your husband and wife are sitting at home and saying, you know what, but your kids need you here. You need to repent of that. Your priority's at home. Your priority's not trying to make your boss happy or trying to pad your 401k for the day of retirement. You need to repent of that. Some of you have worshipped your kids for years. But I have to tell you, there's going to be a day where your kids leave the house. And if you've worshipped your kids, and your marriage is not built on the solid rock of Christ, it will crumble. You need to repent of that. Our kids are quite often objects of worship. But they were never intended to be. They're supposed to be a blessing not objects of worship. And yet there, there are times in our life and when we go through and, and, and when, we, when we have sin, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, I could have somebody else up here delivering this message and I could be sitting right next to my wife and it could be the exact same thing and yet I need to be spoke to with this as well. And I'm not coming through like I'm the authority figure and I've got it all figured out because amen, I do not. I could tell you some stories. And yet, even in the times that I have done things that were, I know that weren't God's best for me, there were consequences. 
Many of you are living with consequences right now. Consequences of sinful decisions you've made in the past. And you're feeling the weight of it. You've, you've bought things on credit. You've spent money you didn't have that you thought the bank was loaning you. But then all of a sudden you get this thing in the mail and it's a, it's a credit card statement. Crud. You know? I really didn't need those rims, did I? I really didn't need those rims and tires. I probably could have just made it a little bit, maybe saved a little bit, but now I'll be paying on these for the next five years, if you're lucky. And yet, we're living with the consequences. I'll tell you how this works in context of a story. Um, it's not on TV anymore, but there was this television show called I, or I Shouldn't Be Alive. Anyone know about that TV show? I was hooked. I've seen every single one of them, probably twice. Um, I'm like infatuated with it. Um, I shouldn't be alive, so like no one necessarily dies. People get hurt, but they don't die. And yet I would sit back and there's very compelling stories. I got caught up in this story of this husband and wife. He was in the military. And I believe she was pregnant. They were going home for something on leave. And it was somewhere out west. And they're tracking on and, and they're going. Uh, it was just kind of a freak snowstorm at that time of year. It wasn't anticipated. They didn't check the weather and all these things. So they, and they got like this, this beat up pickup truck. And they're just kind of tracking on. They think everything's fine. Well, all of a sudden, as they're going farther and farther and farther and trying to go home, the snow starts to increase and increase and increase. And they just keep going and they think, well, we're going to make it sooner or later. We're going to make it sooner or later. And he's trying to reassure his, his young wife, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. But they're ignoring the signs around them that they need to seek shelter. They don't realize the fact that a blizzard's coming. Hardship's coming. And yet they just keep going. And they think, well, as long as I can make forward momentum, everything's fine. All of a sudden they keep tracking on and tracking on. They lose track of, of really where they are and now they're in the mountains and they take a wrong road and it turns out to be a logging road that's not used in that time of year. So now they're going down this logging road and, and they have this false sense of security that, hey, we're on a road so everything's cool. We're together, baby. It's going to be all right. And now as they get up this road farther and farther and farther, the woods become closer and closer and closer. And now they're stuck in a blizzard. And now they can't move. And yet they were ignoring the signs along the way that consequences were coming. They were ignoring the signs that were saying, hey, you have to turn around now because the consequences are coming. You have to turn around now because the road is narrowing and the snow is increasing. And you see that there's no houses around, there's no, there's no businesses around. That should be an indicator that trouble's coming. But they didn't heed the warnings, they didn't turn it around. So all of a sudden, they're stranded for several days, living in the cab of a truck. Miraculous recovery. They're found on this logging road, just a freak thing. They couldn't move at all. He's got his young pregnant, pregnant wife in the truck. Think how foolish he felt, putting them in that situation. Because they didn't heed the warnings. You know, every time that we sin, there are warnings of that impending danger coming. Every time we do that. If you are a child of God, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in a personal way, uh, the Word of God tells us that you have the Holy Spirit residing within you. And the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit is the thing that's telling you, hey, this is a good thing, that's a bad thing. That's your early warning detection system. That's, oh, should I do this? No. Consequences. Do this blessing ooh consequences oh blessing and yet if you don't heed the warnings you reap the detriment of those sinful decisions don't we there's hope hope is found in Jesus Christ and God allows u turns What's interesting, and I've kind of painted this picture through all these weeks of not only the personal element of, of personal revival, but then also a national level. You may be sitting back and thinking, you know what, I kind of get the personal element. I mean, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I don't have it all figured out. But yet, there's, there's some elements that you know that need to change. And maybe I, I'm, I'm believing, I'm, I'm praying in faith, and I have been, that, that he would be doing, a, that Lord would be doing a work in your life. 
And yet you would sit back and say, how could we do this on a national level? I mean, how could we... What does repentance look on a national level? What, is it, what does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like, because it's already happened. Anyone ever hear of the National Day of Prayer? Here's where it started. It started with a senator from Iowa named James Harlan. And he sends this resolution to President Lincoln. This is in 1863. Right in the middle of the Civil War. The most devastating thing that had happened in our country on American soil and the most devastating thing, I believe, that has happened since. The Civil War. A nation divided. And yet this senator from Iowa goes through and he sends this resolution to, to the then president, President Lincoln, wanting him to declare a national day of prayer and fasting. And the President of the United States, President Abraham Lincoln, says this. It's kind of lengthy, but stick with it. It's, it's dynamite. He says, Whereas the Senate of the United States devoutly recognized the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God. Talking about our government, how it's been blessed by God. It was built on, the, uh, on a biblical morality from Almighty God. He says, in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by a resolution requested the president to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And he says, And insomuch as we know that by His, that's God's, divine law, Nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be, listen to this, says it may be a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. So a senator backed by our president, one of the great ones, goes back and he says, there's always a personal element to repentance. And he says, because of that, there has to be a national one. There's hope. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He's on the throne. I'm going to leave you with this. Are you walking or are you stumbling? Because if you're walking or if you're stumbling, that says a whole lot about you. And if you were to give your life to Christ and you were to do a thorough job of repenting, you may be stumbling now, but you can walk. Because hope, peace, and rest is found in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone.